the harder conversations are around, you know, takeout, like eating a lot of fast food. And I saw a lot more resistance with parents when it comes to those conversations because it's like, well, I don't have time to cook or, you know, there's not a grocery store that's close. What do you find to be the most difficult uh, discussion to have with the patient? Definitely end-of-life issues um, when you have to address, you know, terminal diseases with patients, especially when they're being diagnosed with it the first time. It's really difficult for both the physician and the patient, obviously. I guess the hardest part is when patients are really angry because either a physician hasn't explained why they're in the hospital, what their diagnosis is, or what procedure they're undergoing. I think one of the things that I personally struggle with is um, patients who cannot share their diagnosis with sexual partners. Also trying to remain supportive to that individual and then feeling a lot of you know, internal buttons going off. I'd say more than, you know, end of life, more than anything else is, um, that's always a challenging conversation for me. You have five or ten minutes to talk to a patient, to explore a behavior that may be profoundly influencing their health. How do you do it? This is the first in a series of five podcasts focusing on the technique of motivational interviewing, a skill that empowers a full spectrum of health providers, from medical students to attending physicians, to tackle those most difficult discussions we have with patients. Motivational interviewing is a collaborative conversation. Its goal is to strengthen a person's own motivation for changing a behavior and to move towards a commitment to change. In this first podcast, we'll go over the basics of motivational interviewing, or MI for short, answering the questions, what is it? Who benefits from MI? How does it work? And what clinical evidence is there to support its practice? We'll wrap things up with an example of what a motivational interview sounds like and walk you through a brief exercise to improve your skills as a MI practitioner. Let's get started. Mr. B, nice to see you. What brings you in today? I was just discharged from the hospital a week back. They said I should follow up with my primary. So what happened? I had this really bad chest pain, and the doc said I had a mini heart attack or something. They started me on a bunch of medications. I have listed on my records that you smoke. Are you still doing that? I mean, I didn't smoke during the hospital stay, but when I got out, yeah. A pack lasts me maybe two days. You should stop. Like yesterday. That stuff is going to kill you. This is what most smoking cessation discussions sound like, right? They're short, they're stripped of any educational value to the patient, and they're bordering on paternalistic. In defense of the doc, he probably has 10 minutes to completely review this gentleman's discharge summary to adjust his medication regimen and make the necessary referrals for cardiology follow-up. But at the same time, what the doctor did say is probably redundant anyway. The patient has definitely heard the spiel before, maybe as recently as his hospital stay, and knows that the healthy choice would be to kick his habit. So how can we make this brief intervention more meaningful? This is the ideal situation for the technique of motivational interviewing. A meta-analysis by Rubeck et al. of more than 70 studies found that MI, when compared to with traditional advice giving, can improve BMI, total cholesterol, systolic blood pressure, and blood alcohol content. A separate Cochrane meta-analysis demonstrated a 27% higher quit rate in smokers when compared with usual care. 
and a review of more than 100 studies showed that when compared to treatments such as a 12-step or a CBT program, motivational interviewing took over 100 fewer minutes of treatment on average, yet still produced equal effects for those struggling with substance abuse. MI has three components. First, it's just talk. You're not immediately slapping a nicotine patch on this guy. Second, it's collaborative, not confrontational. In the skit you heard, the doc was steering the conversation exactly where he wanted it to go. That's right. And the last component of MI is that it is evocative in the true sense of the word, to draw out. To give some breathing room to the patient's thoughts, concerns, and maybe solutions. Let's hear what a motivational interviewing session might sound like. Mr. B, nice to see you. What brings you in today? I was just discharged from the hospital a week back. They said I should follow up with my primary. So what happened? I had this really bad chest pain, and the doc said I had a mini heart attack or something. They started me on a bunch of medications. I can see that you're still a bit shocked by that. Yeah, definitely. I I just didn't see it coming. That's really hard. Did any of the doctors discuss what may have contributed to this? They talked about my diet and making sure I exercise, and I guess the smoking, too. What about the smoking? I'm still smoking maybe half a pack per day. What do you see happening if you don't make any changes? If you stay smoking, what you're used to, that half a pack? Look, I I wish I could quit. I've tried before. What happened when you tried before? I was just not a nice person to be around, angry and shit, you know? I gained some weight, too. You didn't feel like yourself. Right, and I know if I quit, that would be better for my heart, but I'm sort of scared of that person that I'll become. Why is it important to you to have a healthy heart? (laughs) What kind of question is that? So I can live, man. So I can see my grandkids grow, grow up and all that. And be there for your family. Yeah, and maybe get off all those medications. It's hard to be dependent on all those pills to keep everything under control. Definitely, I, so I need to take charge. That's something that we can work together on. So, with all of my patients who smoke, I like to ask them to fill out this form. You'll see a line with markings from 1 to 10. 1 being, I don't want to quit at all. And 10 being, let's get this show on the road. Where are you right now? I'd say... Five. And the other line is about your belief in yourself. How strongly do you believe that you're capable of quitting? Probably a seven. I could beat this thing. So it sounds to me that your goal is to quit so that you have a healthier heart and you can have some quality time with your family. But you're up against this fear that you'll feel on edge if you stop abruptly. Yeah. So what's the first step? I don't know. This thing seems bigger than me. I Like, I can't grasp it. It's daunting. But here's the thing. I've been seeing you for several years now, and I know you. I know you fought to get back on your feet after losing your job, that you found steady work again. You're strong, and you've got a strong support team in your family. You tell me, then. What should I do? I think you figured it out for yourself. You've quit before, so you have the tools. And now you have this added motivation to get your heart healthy and get off the meds. That's true. I guess my question to you is, how can I help you meet that goal? That took a lot longer. (laughs) But all told, the conversation took up maybe three minutes total. And it accomplished a lot more. Let's break it down. 
So you heard four specific MI skills in that conversation with four corresponding principles that steered the provider throughout the interview. The skills are easy to remember with the acronym OARS, ORS, like the paddles, not the precious metals. O stands for open-ended questions, A for affirmations, R for reflections, S for summaries. Here are all the open-ended questions used by the doctor. What brings you in today? So what happened? What about the smoking? So what's the first step? These questions ensure that the talk is patient-driven. I also noticed that the provider used those questions when he was probably tempted to insert directing or teaching language. He's, here's the affirmation used. That's really hard. Affirmations have to be real. Patients pick up phoniness like a parent sniffs out the alcohol on the breath of their teenage son. You're not getting away with it. Reflections were used throughout the talk. I can see that you're still a bit shocked by that. You didn't feel like yourself. Be there for your family. It's hard to be dependent on all those pills to keep everything under control. Notice how they focus on the patient's intrinsic motivations to change. That internal drive to change was emphasized in the provider's summary statement as well. So it sounds to me that your goal is to quit so that you have a healthier heart and you can have some quality time with your family. But you're up against this fear that you'll feel on edge if you stop abruptly. It seems like the summary is your chance to be a guide, too. You have a choice to reinforce the positive points over the negative. It's an opportunity to create a pivot point in the conversation. And that's what it's all about. The goal of motivational interviewing is strengthening the patient's motivation for and commitment to change. Most people are comfortable in their ambivalence. A move in any direction, more cigarettes, less cigarettes, requires effort. So providers doing MI have to acknowledge this reality. We have to accept and anticipate difficulty in this collaborative effort to change. ORS, O-A-R-S, for open-ended questions, affirmations, reflections, and summaries, represents the skills you need. So here's the mental framework that will guide every patient discussion about behavior change. This has another clever acronym, RISE, R-I-S-E. R is roll with resistance. Resistance is a natural part of behavior change. Usually it's internal, the classic devil on one shoulder, angel on the other paradigm. But when the patient expresses resistance to change, the worst thing you can do as a provider is become the defender of change because the patient will be forced into the role of the devil's advocate. They'll find new reasons to resist change. It's much better to affirm and then contextualize this resistance. In the smoking conversation, you heard the patient express his fears about becoming angry after quitting. The doc replied with a reflection. You didn't feel like yourself. He didn't step into the internal argument that the patient was freely airing. And the counter-argument to the status quo could then come from the patient himself. That's rolling with resistance. I is for identifying discrepancy. Sort of a hard concept to understand. But the key is to point out differences in the patient's goals. In the smoking case, getting his heart healthy and decreasing his pill burden. And the current situation, the status quo. But he also used that interactive tool, the 0 to 10 scale, to establish the patient's baseline desire and perceived ability to change. We'll post a link to these scales for you in the podcast description. He could have pointed out to the patient that while he believed he would have a hard time quitting because of the potential, albeit temporary, personality changes, Mr. B had marked a 7 on the ability to change scale. That's a good segue into the third principle guiding motivational interviewing. Remember, the first two are an I, 
S is for self-efficacy. Belief is a powerful and measurable thing. And it's at the center of why MI works, not just for people with addictions, but for diet interventions, intimate partner violence prevention, and in many more health domains. This is why you roll with resistance. The patient, not you, ultimately has to be the champion of change. Our last and maybe most important principle is empathy. The patient's world is different than your own. And in a time when the practice of medicine has shifted towards something resembling an economic transaction, I put down my copay so I should at least get some meds, it's easy to fall into the habit of just understanding the disease, what you're paid to do, or in the case of medical students, what we're graded on, and not making any attempt to understand the person with the disease. But motivational interviewing is completely dependent on grasping at an understanding of how someone lives their life the 99% of the time they're not in the hospital or an outpatient clinic. And you do this by using your ORs, open-ended questions, affirmations, reflections, summaries, those basic MI skills. Right, and now we've gone through the RISE acronym too, our general strategy for approaching these conversations. Roll with resistance, identify discrepancy, support self-efficacy, and engage with empathy. Let's do a quick exercise. We gave you those helpful acronyms, the RISE principles, the ORS skills, but it's hard to know when to use them. Sometimes, listening carefully to what the patient is expressing is the most important. There are key statements that will direct your responses or questions. You want to latch on to phrases that express a desire, need, reason, or commitment to change. You'll approach a conversation with a patient who's already expressing a commitment to change differently than one who's simply listing reasons to change. In this exercise, you'll hear a brief phrase from a patient. Try to identify as quickly as possible whether they're expressing a desire, a need, a reason, or a commitment to change. We'll let you know the answer right after. Regardless of whether you got it wrong or right, you should be immediately thinking of a response. Use your ORs. Try out a reflection statement or an open-ended question. We'll give you a few suggestions afterwards. Here we go. I know I would feel better if I lost 20 pounds. Desire, reason, need, or commitment. That's a reason statement. The conjunction if is the giveaway here. What's your response? So you could reflect, your weight is an important part of how you view yourself, or open things up. What else would that 20-pound loss do for you? Or gently push towards a commitment. The way you feel about your weight sounds like a key motivator for losing some pounds. My kids have to have a stable dad. Desire, reason, need, or commitment. That's a need statement. It's bordering on a reason statement, but there's no connection between the behavior change, which goes unmentioned, and the goal, stability. It's just that the current situation is untenable. It demands action. What's your response? So we need to get them to start thinking about a goal. What would that stable dad look like? Or backing up this need with an explicit motivator. Your kids are an important part of why you're here, huh? We could also identify some discrepancy. Stability could hold together your household. What is it like now? I wish alcohol was just not a part of my life. Desire, reason, need, or commitment. 
That's a desire statement. They're conjuring up an image of their world as they want it to be. So go with that. What's your response? Another opportunity to develop discrepancy. This is not the life you want. Or probe for intrinsic motivators with a simple why. I would be a healthy weight if I cut back on the late night Oreos. Desire, reason, need, or commitment. That's a reason statement. Again, the if is the giveaway. How would you respond? You're probably getting the hang of this now. You could feel out if they're ready to make a commitment by asking, are you ready to cut down on those late night snacks? Or maybe just take this as an opportunity to explore what they know about nutrition. How do you think these snacks affect your weight? Now they're becoming a champion for their own change. I plan to get to a half a pack per day by Christmas. Desire, reason, need, or commitment. This is easy. It's a commitment. How are you going to support this important first step? What's your response? Reinforce the fact that they've just made a commitment. Affirmation helps here, too. It's fantastic that you're committing to cut down on your cigarette use. It's important, too, to assess their perceived ability to make this change, asking, how confident are you in your ability to achieve this important goal? I hope that was a helpful exercise. The more you're able to frame patient responses as expressions of change, something desired or needed or already committed to, the better you'll be at supporting the patient to make that change. You have the tools. Remember ORs, open-ended questions, affirmations, reflections, summaries. And you have the mental framework. RISE is our mnemonic there. Roll with resistance, identify discrepancy, support self-efficacy, and engage with empathy. But that doesn't mean anything unless you're thinking about motivational interviewing before you even step into the patient's room, whether it's in the ED, the wards, or the clinic. MI works, but only if you practice it. You should also keep in mind that a 2010 meta-analysis of these interventions showed that your level of training actually does not matter in achieving meaningful outcomes with MI. Whether you're a doctor, social worker, or med student, you should feel empowered to take on these discussions. The next few podcasts will focus on specific situations where motivational interviewing has been found to be useful. This includes alcohol or substance abuse, struggles with diet and exercise, adherence to medication, and high-risk sexual behavior. Your patient is waiting. Start a conversation. <laughs>